which we've called paradox, seeing the identity of Jesus in light of the cross. Last week we looked at Jesus as the interrogated prophet, and this week we're going to look at the king of the Jews on trial. You know, a king implies sovereignty, and sovereignty is about having the freedom to choose your own way, to make your own decisions, not being under someone else's authority. In fact, of course, sovereignty speaks of authority. And as we look at the passage today, Jesus is going to look like he's completely out of control, totally subject to the whims and decisions unjustly of other people. In fact, we're going to see as Jesus is mocked in this title of being King of the Jews. But just as we saw last week, there's no better place to come to understand the sovereignty of Jesus as not just King of the Jews, but as the New Testament proclaims him, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as this passage here in the Gospel of Mark. We're picking up today in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. And I'll read the passage uh, for us together. Chapter 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder, in the insurrection there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him released for them, release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And he cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country of the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Jesus is not a very active participant in this passage. He's bound, he's carried to Pilate, he's questioned, He's accused. His fate is determined by others. The crowd calls for his crucifixion. He's clothed 
in a, cl- uh, a, a robe and a crown of thorns, and then he's clothed. He doesn't even dress himself. He's clothed again in his own clothes by others. He's compelled to carry his cross, and then he's taken to Golgotha where he'll be crucified. The one time we see Jesus doing anything, any action in this, is when he answers just one of Pilate's many questions. And even that, he gives a surprisingly passive answer. Pilate asks him up front, directly, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds there in verse uh, verse 2. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. He says, consider your own answer, Pilate. Think before you speak. What do you think on this issue? And yet, as I mentioned in the introduction, Jesus here demonstrates himself to be the one worthy and one true king. This passage reads like a study on the dangers of authority. It reads like the uh, potential possibilities of the innocent being oppressed, of injustice being done. Look at just all the active actors in this story. First, we have uh, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees on the religious issues. They were the authorities of Jesus's day. And of course, they're the ones here who are driving for the death penalty for Jesus. They bring him to Pilate first thing in the morning because they don't have the authority to do what they want to do to, to put Jesus to death. They had lost that being an occupied uh, nation Only Rome could carry out capital punishment, so they need Pilate's help. They come to Pilate. Pilate here decides the fate of Jesus. And Pilate, of course, is a representative of Rome, this authoritarian empire that ruled over most of the known world at this time. He represented the final say, the final authority of the whole known world. And then we see also the crowds have a part to play. Pilate... Uh, offers to release Jesus, and the crowds choose instead a man named Barabbas, a violent zealot, an insurrectionist who had been arrested for murder. In each place, we see these active participants in the story, and each one stands in, again, as a study of what can go wrong with authority. I think we live in a culture that understands the dangers that come with authority. We've become almost anti-authoritarian because of it. We're resistant, even worried, about what is possible with power. And as we look at these three characters, it's easy to see why. Why is it that the religious priests, whose responsibility is to protect and preserve their religion, why is it that they turn over Jesus? Well, Pilate knows, he understands, and he tells us what the reason is. When he wants to hand them over to the crowd, when he invites the possibility to take this criminal and release them, as was his practice at the feast every year, his intentions are to get around the authority of the priests and use the people's request to release Jesus. (laughs) And notice what he says, verse 10, he perceived, Pilate knew that it was out of envy the chief priests had delivered him up. What is running the power of the priests 
the scribes, and the elders. It's envy. They're not putting Jesus to death because it is a proper use of their authority. They're not putting Jesus to death for the sake of the people they serve, or the nation they represent, or the God that they represent, but because they're jealous of his popularity. They're jealous of the excitement. They're jealous of the attention that the crowds give Jesus when he teaches. I think you can probably imagine or maybe even remember a time in your own life where envy hijacked the hierarchy of authority and led to injustice. So it was here. Jesus understands what it's like to experience the unjust use of authority. And here it's for jealousy, for petty envy, for a desire to be more popular than you are. Now we also see Pilate operating in his authority. And like I said, Pilate represents the iron fist of Roman rule, final and total authority. As he asks Jesus in the Gospel of John, don't you know that I determine whether you live or whether you die? But Pilate here is also hijacked. He doesn't bring about justice, and the Gospel of Mark tells us why. As he offers up Jesus to the crowds and says, would you like to deliver him? The crowd says, no, release Barabbas instead. And he says, what would you like me to do with the one who is called King of the Jews? And the audience answers, verse 13, they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? Notice that Pilate's opinion of Jesus is one of innocence, that he's done nothing deserving of death. And so he asks the crowd, what would I crucify him for? But verse 13, they, uh, they, s <laughs> sorry, my page blew over in the wind. Verse 14, Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Pilate supposed to be an impartial judge, having no dog in the race religiously, finding Jesus to be innocent, caves to the will of the people because he wants to satisfy them. It's Pilate's desire to be well-liked, to not create conflict with the people. You see, although Pilate was the ruler, he worked for Rome and his work was subject to review. At any time, and it was often, governors like Pilate could be thrown out of office and nothing led to that happening more than constant insurrection and rebellion. You see, Pilate recognizes that if the people are unhappy, there could be a reaction and he will bear the blame for that. And so there's this miscarry of injustice Pilate, unlike the priests who use their power for evil, fails to use his power for good. He could deliver Jesus, but he does not because he wants to satisfy the people. And we see the same thing with the people. Why is it that they choose Barabbas instead of Jesus? Why is it? Now, Mark tells us that they were stirred up by the high priests, but why are they after Barabbas? I would suggest to you it's because of expediency. Whatever these crowds think of Jesus, they think that Barabbas is a rebel. 
a powerful agent of change, willing to use violent and what uh, violent means, whatever means necessary, to get rid of the Roman power to bring about Jewish independence. They choose to release Barabbas because he can solve their current problems. He's willing to do what's necessary. And remember how often Jesus is questioned and challenged and breaks the expectations about being that type of a Messiah, that type of a deliverer who would overthrow Rome. Remember last week we saw that that was the last straw for Judas was when he realized that Jesus was unwilling to conquer Rome. And look at here, the choices between Jesus, meek, mild, weak, bloodied, and Barabbas, strong, a threat to the Roman Empire. And so expediency overwhelms injustice and they choose a guilty murderer to be set free instead of an innocent man. This is always the way with injustice. This is always the way with authority. And like I said, I think we understand, we get this point. We need to recognize that Jesus understands it as well. That he endured injustice and saw authority go sideways. You know, if you've experienced unjust treatment, God knows. He understands. He sees. And Jesus, he didn't just know, understand, and see these things. He endured them. Now, the way that we usually go about protecting ourselves from mistrials of power is to try and be our own source of power. We want autonomy. We want freedom. We think that the danger is when other people have control over us. So the safest thing we can do is to make sure that no one has control over us, that we are the ones in charge of our own destiny. But we need to recognize that all the places where power shows itself in this passage, not only does it lead to the mistreatment of an innocent man, it doesn't help those in power either. Consider the chief priests. Here they use the full muscle of their authority to get rid of a problem, a problem with their reputation, a problem with their popularity. They put Jesus to death to end Jesus's fame. But that's not how the story goes. They fail in their incredibly unjust and selfish mission. Just three days from now, after Jesus is brutally crucified, he raises again. The chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they've all passed away. But Jesus is alive and he's worshiped by millions. And he's praised, his name is known in every nation on earth. He is famous, the Pharisees with the full extent of their power fail. Pilate has all the power he needs. He's the highest ranking Roman official in Jerusalem. He is a final authority as again, it said in the Gospel of John, he decides whether you live or die. And although I pointed out that he gives in here to the whims of the people and in some ways he fears insurrection, he was known for his cruelty. Even the Gospel of Luke record, records an occasion where Pilate mingled the blood of Galileans with their sacrifices. He often put down violently even the most mild of uprisings. 
He had all of that power in his hands, and yet here that power fails him. Here he is incapable of doing the right thing, of delivering Jesus, of using his power as he thinks it is meant to be used because he's threatened by the people. And the truth is, whatever power you have in your own life, it is limited. It is subject to other powers in connection of them. It requires the will of other people, other people to express their authority. Now, we as Americans tend to think that the safest form of power is evenly distributed power in the form of democracy. We the people. But look at the people here. Look at the crowds here. Here they are the ones who finally win the day with their decision. But notice that they're manipulated by the priests. They're subject to misinformation, to being stirred up to a mob mentality. Of course, we see the same thing today. But not only that, their expediency, choosing Barabbas, the violent upriser instead of meek and mild Jesus, leads to their entire undoing. You see, just a few decades after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, other insurrectionists come up just like Barabbas, other men who are willing to do whatever it takes. And eventually Israel throws in all their chips behind a man just like Barabbas. And finally Rome has enough. And in 70 AD, a general by the name of Titus, a representative of the authority of Rome, comes in and sacks and destroys Jerusalem and scatters the Jews across the empire, ending the nation of Israel. Their expediency their chosen way of handling things fails them. And it's the same thing in our life. Just because we have power, it doesn't overcome the vulnerabilities of human life. And the greatest vulnerability is not the crowds out there. It's not how powerful our enemies might be. It's not technology that might be dreamed up by other nations. It is our inner weaknesses. It is our sinful nature. It is our fears and our corruptions that twist us from doing the right thing. Now that can make us feel tremendously vulnerable, vulnerable at the hands of others like Jesus was, vulnerable in our own ability to do what's right and what's good and what's wise. But Jesus stands in such a tremendous contrast here because Jesus is entirely silent totally subject to these powers and authorities, surrendered to them, and yet he is undefeated. Now, don't get me wrong, he is abused, he is mistreated, and eventually he is put to death, but he is free. He's free to do the right thing, to not betray his principles, to live up to his character. He's not twisted or transformed by the evil around him, but he fully and completely resists it. How does he do that? It's because he is completely surrendered to the sovereignty of God. Why is he silent during this time? It's because in obedience he is doing what the Father has called him to do. Why is he unthreatened by the powers that be? Because he knows that sovereign over all of them, 
is the God who made the world, who laid his plans that will not be defeated. And so he doesn't just surrender to the powers that be, he surrenders to the God who is sovereign. But there's something more significant than even that in this story. We don't just see Jesus here as someone who surrenders to a sovereign God as an example to us. We also see him as truly the King of Kings. You know, the soldiers here, they mock Jesus by wrapping him in a robe, by creating a crown of thorns and scepters of reeds and bashing him on the head and mocking him, Hail, King of the Jews! But it's this very reality here. Jesus' perfect, submissive, obedient character that leads to him being crowned the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul explains this to us in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what he says. He says, Let each of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Now notice here, this is not what was done to Jesus, but what Jesus did. Listen to the active verses, verbs here. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because Jesus humbled himself, because he did not consider his rights as being divine, the very Son of God, as something to be held onto, but freely laid it down, became a weak and humble man, became a servant of men, became obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, and not just any death, but death on the cross. Therefore, Paul tells us, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of his perfect and submissive obedience, he is the one name under heaven that all will bow down to on earth, in heaven, under the earth, all will bow down to Jesus and all will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because of his submissive obedience, he has been crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and his authority is now inescapable. Paul tells us in the book of Acts that God has chosen one man by which to judge the living and the dead, and that's Jesus. His authority is rooted in his perfect submission to the Father. Since the beginning of the Bible, God has been looking for a man to rule on his behalf perfectly, to bring about justice, that it would roll like rivers down mountains, to bring out about peace so that swords would be beaten into farming tools, would perfectly express God's perfection on earth in his rule. And he found that in Jesus Christ. You see, even during this place where Jesus is acted upon, he's actually acting in obedience and submission, and that makes him worthy of rule 
It makes him worthy of worship, and it makes him worthy of us obeying and being subject to. Even here, especially here, at the trial of the King of the Jews, we encounter the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father, so often we want to protect ourselves from the powers of others, but we thank you, Lord, that you are greater than the things we fear. Father, so often we want to be the ones in power to bring about our own will, and we look at Jesus here and we're confounded by his surrender and his submission and his silence. But we recognize here, Lord, that that surrender of power is what makes Jesus worthy of power. That instead of using his authority for his own sake, Lord, he willingly laid it down on our behalf. And because of that, we don't want to wait till every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but we gladly and freely kneel and confess Jesus as Lord now. We pray that you would look at the places in our life, Lord, where we're subject to other powers, where we're flexing our own muscles for our own sake, and that you would lead us to a deeper surrender to the one true King, to the only good King, to the King who died, not just for his people, but for his enemies. For us, while we were the enemies of God, Christ died for us so that he may rule perfectly in our life. We pray, Lord, that you take more ground even this week, more territory for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.